21, if you would, please. Uh, 32, 32 years ago, I gave my life to the Lord to be a preacher of the gospel. I was a public high school football coach. Hi, Rose. How are you? Good to see you. Amen. I taught her at Festus. Amen. You feel sorry for her, amen, or me, either one. I don't know who to feel sorry for, amen, but it's good to see. Uh, I don't know. You weren't too bad, amen. I've got now Alzheimer's now and don't remember, I guess, is what it was. But 32 years ago, I was a high school pub, uh, football coach, public school football coach. I got saved when I was five years of age at the Haven Baptist Church. I surrendered to preach when I was 13 years of age. And then decided that that was all emotion. And then I, I began uh, seven years of living my life the way I wanted to live it. Seven years of uh, living a pretty wicked life, to be honest with you. Saved on my way to heaven, but living my own life and living wickedly. And uh, the Lord began to deal with me about my call to preach. And I said, no, I go to church and that's enough. I'm going to be a college football coach, but uh, 32 years ago, the Lord uh, broke me. I could tell you that story just briefly. Uh, one of my senior, my senior fullback on my team ended up with a bleeding brain concussion. We rushed him into emergency surgery, cut his skull off, washed all the blood out, put the skin back over the hole. As I went to the hospital to see him, the Lord said to me, you taught him how to block. And you taught him how to tackle, but you never told him how to go to heaven. And I wept like a baby and said, God, you're right. Football has become my God. And it's more important to me to see a game won than it is to see somebody won to Jesus Christ. And that began the movement in my life to surrender to the Lord's will. Amen. And I've not been sorry that I did it. And uh, my first four years in the ministry were spent in that Second Baptist Church. I, I, I told the Lord, I don't want to be in a Christian school. Whatever you do, don't put me in a Christian school. So the Lord put me in a Christian school for four years. Amen? Okay, <laughs> Then I told the Lord, I, I told also the Lord, I don't ever want to live in St. Louis. Well, God was a little merciful. He only moved me a little bit south of St. Louis. Amen? And then I told him when I left, uh, left Festus, I said, I, I don't want to pastor a church. Uh, I want to be an assistant pastor. I want to do something else. And so for 26 years, the Lord had me pastor in the church. The moral of all that story is I don't tell God what I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> Amen? Because if you tell God what you don't want to do, God will probably make you do it just so that you'll be willing and, and humble you and submit to his will. So... And uh, I enjoyed the four years there, and, and Brother Casey was a good friend, and uh, I appreciate him so much. And uh, it was Brother Casey when I was, I had gone to Jefferson City, and in Jefferson City there was a group of people wanting to start a church, and across the river in Holt Summit there was a group of people that had a country church, somewhat like this, setting out in the country, and they both gave me a call to pastor on the same day. And I went and spoke to one of them on a Wednesday night, one of them on a Thursday night, talked to him about what I expected as a pastor, what I would do. And I came back to Festus, and I went to Brother Casey, and I said, Brother Casey, I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what to do. And he said, well, what do you tell me about the churches? And, and uh, so I told him, I said, well, the one's a country church, and I'm a country boy, so I really like to go there. The other's a city church, and I'm not a city boy. I really like probably not to go there. The country church was a little bit more on my spiritual level. I felt like the city church, those folks were a little bit more spiritual than maybe I could handle. We talked for a little bit, and Brother Casey said, well, let's just cast lots. You remember this? So he just reached in his pocket, pulled out a quarter, and said, tails, you go to the country church, heads, you go to the city church. And he flipped the coin. And he caught it. He said, now, what do you want it to be, honestly? I said, the city church. He said, look there. It's the city church. Amen? That's a crazy preacher you got there. Amen? But you know what he said to me? It's never failed. You ever remember that? Never failed. You know, they used to cast lots in the old days. But you know what he was doing? Just showing me what was really on my heart. I was trying to run from the will of God, and again, something that I didn't think I could do. Yeah, amen. I'll put, I'll put two of them there. That's about how much I got. I'm in evangelism now. I can't clap two nickels together in my pocket, amen. How you like all this new stuff going on in our country? I'm paying 40% of my income into insurance. Crazy, isn't it? But God knows, amen. He's on the throne. Well, I'm glad to be here tonight. Take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 21 with me. I believe in the office of the evangelist. And uh, I, I believe there are perhaps two types of evangelists. I believe there's the evangelist who goes into an area, wins souls, starts a church. I believe there's the evangelist who's called to this matter of revival. And I'm a revival evangelist. The Lord called me to try to bring revival to America. How many of you think tonight America needs revival? We need revival seriously. And I think revival is vital to the future of the world. And uh, I'm going to say some things tonight. I want to say this. I always say when I preach somewhere, if the pastor, after I get done preaching, wants to correct something, that's his right. And he should do that. And it won't offend me. And you should follow your pastor. Amen. Amen. But we're going to look at some things tonight in the Bible that the Lord gave me. And he told me... If at all possible, preach this message to every church you preach in. Because God's looking for somewhere for revival to break out. I don't know where it's going to happen, but it needs to happen. It could happen at Keitha Heights Baptist Church. But if we're going to have revival, we've got to have a desire for revival. Revelation tells us of the Laodicean church. It's the last day church, Brother Casey. And Jesus said, uh, you're neither cold nor hot. I would you were cold or hot. Therefore, because you're lukewarm, 
I will spew thee out of my mouth. And the Lord, when I was a young boy, I heard preachers preach that that cold there means God wishes you were lost. And that hot means God wished you were saved. He either wished you were lost or saved. Because, and I got to thinking about that, and I said, Lord, that don't make sense to me because you don't want anybody to be lost. And then the Lord said this to me. He said, Ted, have you ever been cold? I said, well, grow up in Kansas, 20 below, wind chill factor of 30 below. I've been cold. He said, were you comfortable? No, Lord, I wasn't comfortable. He said, Ted, have you ever been hot? And I said, you know, Lord, growing up in Kansas, 110 in the shade, baling hay in an old metal barn up close to the roof, stacking those bales about 140 degrees, sweat pouring off of you faster than you can put the fluid. And I said, yeah, Lord, I've been hot. He said, were you comfortable? He said, that's what I'm talking about. He said, when you get lukewarm, you get that temperature that just really, you know, like soaking in that bath and you just get the temperature where you just hunker down and you get comfortable. He says, here's what I'm talking about. The last day church is going to be comfortable. We're not going to be cold or hot. We're not going to be uncomfortable. And the truth of the matter is, and I'm not trying to be mean, most of us do not want to be any place except comfortable. I've got a comfortable life. I live in a comfortable house. I've got comfortable possessions. I make a comfortable salary. I am really, I'm really pretty happy with where I'm at. And the truth of the matter is, is that we do not realize that we are wretched and naked and poor and blind. We have lost the power of God in our churches. Alexis de Tocqueville came to this country in the, in the late 1700s seeking why America could, could, could prosper so, seeking why America had been able to defeat the great British army and had been able to carve out this empire in this land. And so Alexis de Tocqueville, he began to look at America's bays and rivers and he began to look at America's fields and, and mountains and their resources and began to look at America's people and he became very dumbfounded and he found, he says, you know what, they don't have any better resources than we have in Europe. These people are not more intelligent or more industrious than the people of Europe. And he was puzzled in his mind. How's come it is that America has been able to do so much and be so successful? And if you read the story of Alexis de Tocqueville, he went into the churches of America and when he went into the churches of America, he found their pulpits aflame with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And the preaching in the pulpits of America was on fire. And people's lives were being changed. They were being saved. And their lives were being uh, transformed by the powerful Holy Ghost preaching. And Alexis de Tocqueville then understood it was the fire from the pulpits that had made America great. And he made this statement, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will also cease to be great. And he found out where the secret of America was. The secret of America was the God of heaven. The God of heaven who had chosen a nation to place his blessings on. 
had chosen a nation where the preachers could get in the pulpit and preach with fire and zeal and, and, and lives could be impacted by the preaching of God's Word. And tonight I want to I take you to a passage of Scripture and I want to show you where I believe God is looking down tonight at this one nation. And he's looking at this one nation to determine whether or not he's going to continue to show grace and mercy to the world. You are living in a nation that God has his eyes on. This is the last bastion of Christianity that exists on the face of this earth. You understand that when God is done with America, God is done with the human race. I believe that. But I don't believe God has set a date and a time. Uh Uh-oh. Boy, that makes me a heretic in some people's mind. But I don't believe God set a date or time. God is looking at conditions. And when America steps over God's uh, ability to, uh, to, to give grace, then God is going to drop the hammer on this nation. And when He drops the hammer on this nation, He is going to set in motion the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that may be good news to you and I, but it's not good news to the lost people around the world. We have become so selfish, we would like God to come back and let those billions go to hell. Let those poor little children that don't know their left hand from their right hand, who cares? Oh, come back, Lord, and deliver us from this misery. But we ought to understand something, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God is not a God of wrath only, He is first and foremost a God of mercy and grace. The first time that God announces Himself to a man in a a personal way outside of what He may say to Adam, but Moses is on Mount Horeb with God, and he says to God, I want to see your face. And God says, nobody can see my face and live. But here's what I'll do. There's a cleft in the rock, Moses. And I will come by and I'll put my hand so that you can't see my front part. And when I pass by, I'll take my hand off so you can see my back part. And while God passes by Moses, you can read the passage of Scripture. He declares who he is. He said, I am the Lord God, the God of all creation. He said, I merciful and gracious and long-suffering. When God wanted mankind to know what kind of God He was, He wanted them to know that He was merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And our Bible says He's not willing. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And God is looking for a reason not to destroy the world. And He's looking for it in America in our independent Baptist churches. Are you listening? He's looking for it where they have right doctrine, Brother Casey, where they're still standing by the stuff and still preaching the old-fashioned book. Amen. And God's looking down and says, if I could just find somebody, some church would just get on fire and they would repent and they would turn and start doing the work I want them to do, I would show some mercy to this world. And I believe that. I believe revival's possible. If I didn't believe it, I'd stay home with my wife. 
and put, quit putting wear and tear on my vehicle and wear and tear on my body and quit going home and kissing my wife and, and her, having her say, I sure have missed you so much. I left the, going to my meeting last month. I told my wife, dear, if God keeps me on the road every day of the month, I love you, but I won't be home. Well, that's not biblical. You ought to put your family first. I wish you'd read your Bible. Except a man hate his father and his mother and his wife, his children, his brethren, yea, his own life also. He can't be my disciple. Where'd you get that garbage? You know, no, uh, Peter said, we have forsaken all to follow thee. And Jesus said, no man have forsaken houses and parents and wife and children for my sake. It's about time some of us got willing to pay a price to see God save our nation and save our world. It's about time some of us got on our knees in prayer and began to cry out to God and say, Oh, dear God in heaven, we need you to forgive us of our sin. And we need you to give us a revival in our country. We need revival in America. We need revival in America. We need revival! Amen. You know what revival is? Revival comes from repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is an acknowledgement of my wrong direction, of my wrong heart, my wrong attitude, my wrong lifestyle, and it is a turning and a change of life. Brother Casey, I'm saying this all over America. I don't think most of God's people want revival because we don't want anything to change. Don't mess up my world, God. I'm very comfortable. I like my little world. I like my little salary. I like my little home. I like my little tea off time three times a week. Brother Boer, I think that preachers don't want revival. Going to mess up our schedule, isn't it? Man, I got me a comfortable little church now. I got me a nice little office. Got a nice little salary, a good little, uh, good little benefit packet. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I don't want anything come down here and start changing the way we do business. I'm going to tell you what. When revival comes, you'll see a change in people's lives. We will not be able to do business as normal. We will not be able to continue in that same rut we're in. Our lives will be changed forever. And God will do a great work. And we just don't want it. Don't come in here, preacher, and try to stir up things. Why not? You actually think that God is really pleased with the way we're living? You actually think that we're sometime that somehow the cat's meow and God looks down and says, Boy, what wonderful, perfect people. I mean, what a wonderful job they're doing getting the gospel to every creature. Amen. Hey, can I tell you something? This is not a book of suggestions. This is a book of commandments. Better look my God, give an eyeball, and when you don't keep them, you are sinning. You are rebelling. You're saying to God, you're not my Lord. Luke 6, 46, preaches my son's church a couple weeks ago. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You know, disobedience proves he's not your Lord. Did you know disobedience proves you don't love him? If you love me, keep my commandments. He that loves me, he that doesn't keep my commandments. Amen. Oh, how I love Jesus. But I'm not going to tell anybody about him. Oh, how I love Jesus. But I'm not going to quit my whatever. 
Oh, how I love Jesus, but I'm not giving a tithe and offering. You don't have a tithing problem, do you? But I just hit it for you in case you do. Amen? Well, good. Amen. Oh, how I love Jesus, but I'm not coming out to church but more than one time a week. Thank God you're here tonight. Oh, how I love Jesus, but God, don't expect me now to get on fire and do anything really great. Don't expect me to run a bus route. Don't expect me to get involved in the Lord's work because, Lord, it'll mess up my schedule. Don't you understand, God? i got to make money. Uh-oh. I quit preaching went to meddling there. You know what America's God is? Money. Well, just ask me, what do you live for? Just answer, what do you live for? What motivates everything you do? What is it that consumes your mind? Jesus said, take no thought what you shall eat or drink. Take no thought what you shall put on. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And the truth of the matter is, it isn't God running our life. It's money running our life. It's material possession. I'm going to tell you tonight, God is not impressed with my car or yours. God is not impressed with my house or yours. God is not impressed with my education or yours. God is impressed with people that are sold out doing the work of God. For God, I mean all sold out. Paul said, everything that was gain I counted but lost. Let me say this to you too to help you. In your New Testament, the first four books are called the Gospels. That's the record of Jesus' life. The next book is called Acts. That's the record of the first apostles' works. And then from the rest of those books, from Romans to Revelation, there are only three of them written to the pastor. Amen. The rest of them are written to the church. They're written to you pew sitters. Yeah, preacher, you need to do... No, it wasn't written to the preacher. What the preacher has to do? The preacher has to do what 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus say. You know what you have to do? Everything that's written in all those other books. Amen. You glad you came tonight? Are you with me? Here's what we got. We got a Christianity that says, I'll take what I want, I'll leave what I don't want, and God's not going to tell me how to live my life. Well, he doesn't. He'll tell you how to live it, You decide whether you're going to live it or not. But don't you walk around with your pharisaical halo on. Amen. Well, I'm some kind of a good Christian because I go to church three times a week. That's not even hardly a minimum requirement. This passage just gets me, Brother Boer. Does a man have a servant out working in the field all day? And when that servant comes in from the field, does he say to the servant, sit down, let me feed you and serve you? He said, I think not. And you know what he said? He said, likewise ye, when ye have done that which is your duty to do, say we are unprofitable servants. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'm just going to do just enough to get by. I'm going to do just enough so that I think that I can placate God. Can I tell you something? You can't placate God. 
You understand something? That you cannot do like Saul did. Here's what Saul did. Saul refused to obey one of God's commandments, so he decided, I'll bring a sacrifice, and I'll go to another area, and if I do this sacrifice for God, he'll forgive me for not killing the Amalekites. And Samuel said, not so. To obey is better than sacrifice. Here's what you do. You make deals. Well, I do. We make deals with God. Now, God, I'm not going to soul win, but I'll, I'll put this in the offering plate. And God, I'm not going to change this in my life, but I'll do this. And we think that somehow we've placated God by obeying some of His commandments, but Bible, we're supposed to obey all of His commandments. Now, I'm not, I'm not perfect at it, and neither are you, and I'm not here tonight saying you ought to be like me. I'm just telling you the truth. We've got to start recognizing that we're in terrible shape. We're not obeying God. We are sinful and backslidden and we are a carnal and we are not doing the Lord's work. And we got to have a repentance and a turning to God so we can see revival in this land. And if we continue the way we are, you can forget revival. Forget it. God's going to spew us out of His mouth one of these days. Now what's that got to do with anything? Look at Luke 21. You thought I forgot my passage, didn't you? That was just my introduction. Luke 21, verse 5. And if some spake of the temple, how it was adorned in goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what, what sign will there be when these things shall come? And then he gives them the signs. Okay, we don't have time to look at all of it. But drop down to verse number 20, if you would, please. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them that are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things were written may be fulfilled. The day of vengeance is an important. The day of vengeance is when God throws mankind into the... Uh, into the, the, the wine fat of God's wrath. And Jesus is going to stomp the grapes of the wine press of God's wrath. And the Bible says the blood's going to run in the, in the valley of Arnageddon to the horse's bridle. When Jesus is talking about the end time prophecy, can I tell you something, dear friend? You understand something? God said He would never do anything unless He told you first. And you hold in your hand the book of God that tells you exactly what God's going to do. And it tells you what He's going to do because there's some expectations for you and I. We're supposed to respond to what the future is. We're not supposed to sit back and say, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be, and there's nothing we can do about it. God says you need to be watching. You need to be working. You need to be waiting. But there's more to it than that. And you study your Scripture, and I'm going to get to it tonight if the Lord allows me to. Amen. Look at verse number 22. Uh, verse number 23, But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, now watch this statement, And Jerusalem shall be trodden underfoot, uh, trodden down of the Gentiles, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now folks, I want you to look at that word Gentile. All of my life growing up in church, the preachers would come and preach on prophecy, and here's what they say. Jerusalem be trodden underfoot till the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Till the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. One day I studied my Bible and I said, God, I want to understand what that means. The time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You see, Brother Casey, I was erroneously taught that all non-Jews are Gentiles. Many of you in here believe that all non-Jews are Gentiles. 
But that's not true. It isn't, Brother Houston? No. I'm going to show you tonight. When I get done showing, I'm going to show you tonight why you're so blessed. I want to show you tonight why God is looking down at this nation and God is saying, listen, listen carefully. There are two nations that have been in the apple of God's eye. Israel and America. Israel and America. And God prophesied it in His Word. Our founding fathers understood it. When the pilgrims came here, they understood that God in heaven had given them a place to establish a Christian nation. Are you listening? The first and only Christian nation ever established in history. God bless America. And this was God's plan. See, preacher, I've never seen it. Well, let's look. Go with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. And look with me at verse 20. i got so many things I can say, but for sake of time, I want to move on. In Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20, And Noah began to be a husbandman. Now, uh, you know what happened here? The flood came. God destroyed all of mankind. God destroyed all mankind one time. He's getting ready to destroy all of mankind another time. That's what Jesus was referring to. The true two great judgments. All right? Noah becomes a husband and he planted a vineyard. Verse 21. And he drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. Brother Casey, every time I read that, I just shake my head and think, after you've seen the whole human race destroyed, everybody's killed. The corpses are floating around on the water. And when you get out of the flood, all these dead corpses stinking around. And then you go get drunk. How ridiculous. Yet that's the way we are, isn't it? It's the truth of the matter. The way we are. It's our nature. I mean, it doesn't matter. God can, God can zap us one minute and we forget about it the next minute. We're right back living the ungodly life. And that's not really what I'm preaching about. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, every time I read that, I shake my head. Every time I read about Lot, I shake my head. How did his daughters know they could get their daddy drunk? They'd obviously seen daddy drunk a lot. He was a Christian. The Bible says he was a righteous man, a just man. And here he was, he was drinking all the time. His daughters didn't give. By the way, if you were kicked out of, if you, were, if, you, if you fled someplace because of destruction, wouldn't you take the most important thing in life with you? Where did he get the liquor? I'll tell you where he got the liquor. He brought it with him. Here's a Christian man, and he's living the drunk. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. Christianity today is what it used to be. Christianity today and what it was when I was a boy. Christianity today and what it was in the 60s and 70s when we saw God moving in a great way in our churches and souls being saved and people getting on fire and people cleaning up their life and people changing the way they looked and the way they lived. And today we accept everything in Christianity. If you're a Christian, just live the way you want to. Do what you want to. And God is happy with it. But God's not happy with you and I living that way. God expects separation. God expects holiness. God expects us to live a sinless life. God is sick and tired of our wickedness. But we don't care because we're comfortable with it. That's what Lot became, comfortable with it. 
he vexed his righteous soul daily with the filthy conversation of the wicked to such a point that when God tried to take him out of the world, are you listening to me? He started dragging his feet and the angels had to take him by the hand and they had to literally pull him out of Sodom and Gomorrah because he wasn't wanting to move from where he had gotten comfortable. He was comfortable with the homosexual lifestyle. He was comfortable with the drinking and the cussing. He was comfortable with the nudity on television. I guess they didn't have television there. They had nudity, that's right. Here's what's happened to us. We've become comfortable. We have been desensitized by the television set. Uh Uh-oh, I got on somebody's God right there, brother. God's trying to move us to a life of holiness and move us to a life of sacrifice and separation and service. And we're pulling back like Lot and saying, I don't want to perish here, but I sure don't want to leave it. And, and Lot, by the way, got pulled away, but Lot's wife couldn't handle it. And Lot's wife, as they're running away, turned back to the world. I don't know that she actually turned to run, but that's what I believe she did. I believe she's going along, and she pulled her hand from the angel and said, No, 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 I'm not leaving this world. And she turned into a pillar of salt. And God tells us to remember Lot's wife. Why? God's trying to warn you and I. Don't you begin in the world and don't you become so worldly that when God, that God can't move you and when God tries to move you to holiness and righteousness and a life of Christianity that pleases Him, that you just say no and you turn back from God. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'm going to tell you this. Even if you can't live it, you ought to agree with it. Even if you can't do it, you ought to say to God, God, I know it's right, and I know I'm not doing it. And God in heaven, I'm not fighting with you about what's right. I just can't do it right now. Would you help me? Amen. There ain't no preacher living on the face of planet earth can live everything that God tells him to live. There's no Christian living on the face of planet earth can live everything God tells him to live. But as long as you'll be willing to acknowledge God, I know it's right. I ought to be doing it. And God, with your help, I'll do it. God will be merciful. But when you and I get stiff-necked and rebellious, and hard-hearted, we start pulling against the working of the Holy Ghost. And God says, look out! Judgment's coming! He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. God's not obligated to keep dealing with you and I. I buried three of my Christian schoolboys. Three of them. If you're saved, and you're rebelling against God, and He doesn't chasten you, You're not saved. You're a bastard. We got a lot of professions in our church that are not possessions. These three boys went through our Christian school, all made a profession of faith. And one day they decided they wanted to go live in the world. And God, as He's faithful, began to whoop on them. And instead of listening to God's whooping, getting to an altar, repenting, changing their life, they kept being stubborn, bowing their neck, kept pulling against God, pulling against God, pulling against God. In the case of all three of them, they either came to their mama or they came to church and made this statement, I know i got to get right with God or something's going to happen to me. You say, I don't have a God like that. Yes, you do, but you just don't know it. And maybe you don't, because if you believe that he's not like that, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. 
For this cause, some of you are sick, and many of you sleep. If you see your brother sin a sin which is not unto death, pray for him. But if you see your brother sin 